You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for July 3rd, 2022, the fourth Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Peter Walsh. It's based on Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 11 and 16 through 20. Uh, Good morning again to all of you who have gathered us, and good morning to those of you who are streaming. Uh, For those of you who are uh, streaming last week or here or saw it on YouTube, Reverend Elizabeth uh, unfolded a very poignant and heartfelt sermon about, uh, about the world in which we live and how we go from one trauma to the next. Uh, and how this is distressing and disturbing and fatiguing and leading to fear amongst us. And she spoke about the need to care for the soul and how to live, uh, to live in the midst of this. I'd like to pick up with where Elizabeth was last week and speak about what Jesus is teaching us this morning about care for the soul as we, as Jesus people, uh, engage with the crazy world that we live in. What Jesus has to say about the wholeness and the holiness of the soul in the midst of, of the context of our lives is shockingly practical. It's really quite something. So, to begin, Jesus characterizes the world in which he lives as a a wolfish world, right? He says, see, I'm sending you out like lambs into the the midst of wolves. And so, the wolf-like world that Jesus lived in, of course, was one that was marked with with discord and disagreement, tribalism, with, with people exercising their power. And we know a lot about this because of the pushback on Jesus in his life. And also, Jesus was killed by these forces that came together. And I think we're all clear that in certain ways, we too live in a a wolfish world. Now, just to say that when I say that, I'm talking about wolf in the context of biblical symbolism. Uh, wolves in the Bible are predators who eat sheep. Okay, they, they, eat the, they eat the good and holy people of God. And in, uh, in the world, in the international front, of course, we all know we have, we have, we're witnessing and watching uh, as Russia invades Ukraine. And in our own country, and on this Independence Day weekend, we're deeply aware of the wolf-like nature that is in our society and in our culture. We have gun violence that kills kids in schools and kills people in the grocery store. We have a political discourse where people become adversaries who, in some sense, verbally attack in such a way as desiring their death, and in some cases, literally desiring their death. We have in our world uh, social, social media platforms uh, that cancel and block and judge and shame and foment hatred. Uh, and we have a loss of agreed upon truth in our country that makes our country like a dystopian social science fiction novel that we might have read, uh, those of us who are older, back in high school in the 70s and 80s. 
I didn't get a chance to read the New York Times this morning, but I did notice the lead article in the paper uh, uh, talked about and used the phrase disunited states instead of United States. And we all know this from sorts of lives that we lead. You know, Jesus says, uh, like lambs, we, we all know that you can go to an Easter dinner table and eat lamb and uh, if the wrong thing gets said in the context of the dinner table, you can feel <laughs> like a slaughtered lamb uh, as someone else at the dinner table uh, descends upon you with wolf-like tendencies to wipe out your opinion. And we know that this kind of way of being together has made relationships fraught in our families, with our friends, in our country, and of course, uh, in the international dialogue between and among countries. Jesus looked at the fraught situation of his day and he saw it as a fantastic opportunity for God. He said, as you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He saw this as a chance to, to do the godly thing in an ungodly world. And the same is true for us. There is profound neediness in the world. To enumerate that would, would be much too long, but we all know about the profound neediness in the world. It is, it is cast upon us. There is no hiding from it. And the needs are urgent. And they were urgent in Jesus' day. That's why he says in the scriptures, greet no one on the road. He's not inviting people to be impolite. He's saying, what needs to be done is so urgent. Keep it moving, get it done. And we know that the urgent neediness of our world demands our attention. So as numbers go in the New Testament, particularly in the synoptic gospels, uh, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we go from three, right? Peter, James, and John, those closest to Jesus, to the 12, and in chapter 9 of Luke's Gospel, Jesus does send out the 12. And now in chapter 10, he's sending out the 70, or 72, depending on the manuscript you're reading. And the same author from the Gospel of Luke is the author in the Gospel of Acts. And so what happens is we go from 3 to 12 to 70. And by the time we get to the Acts of the Apostles, it's everybody. And, uh, and when Jesus sends out the 70, he uses the word send three times and says, Go on your way, you know, I appointed. So these are people chosen by Jesus to go. See, I, I send you on your way. And they are unnamed and they are anonymous. It's very likely that the 70 did not include the 12. The 12 stayed with Jesus. And these people went out to be heralds of Jesus and Jesus' way. Now we know that when we read the scriptures, we read it from many different vantage points and one is so what's actually happening in Jesus's day and the other is what's happening in our day and so in the scriptures we are the 70 we are the unnamed and we are the anonymous who are sent out and I just have to say that if you're here on July 4th weekend and you're streaming on July 4th weekend you're in okay this this is you're, you're all the ones who have some sense of this some some calling to serve and love the world 
in the name and the power and the love of Jesus. And I think that so many of us, when we do that, we take Francis's view on this, which is preach the gospel always and use words when necessary. That's how we live our lives. And that's the power, in part, one of the powers of the people of this congregation who serve the world in need. But Jesus doesn't commission and send people on a mission in a way that he doesn't send them out to be slaughtered. He doesn't send us out as lambs to, to, to get killed. In fact, he sends us out not only to survive, but to thrive. And we can do so if we follow his directions. What Jesus describes in the gospel that I just read is a sort of holy self-differentiation. The term self-differentiation uh, came from the founder of family system theory, a man named Maury, Maury Bowen. And the basic idea of self-differentiation is that one can maintain the wholeness of their self, their sense of being, their safety, their thoughts, uh, as one relates to somebody else who perhaps might be very anxious. And the issue with self-differentiation is that you can be in relationship with this person or in, in family system theory with this system without absorbing all of that anxiety into you which comes as a destructive element to your life and to your soul. To begin, what Jesus is telling us, for those of us who launch ourselves into the vineyard to, to do, to do Jesus-like things, is it's not our vineyard, it's God's vineyard, right? We hear that where Jesus refers to the Lord of the harvest uh, and to send us as laborers into his harvest. It's not our harvest either, it's God's. And that as we go, as the 70 went and as we go, we are doing Jesus's work. We're not doing our work, we're doing Jesus's work. Some of you might have seen this conversation in the podcast, uh, and Father Justin uh, spoke brilliantly about this when he talked about we represent, we present Jesus in this, and that the, the locus of our self-worth, the who we are-ness, our self-differentiation, in this case, is really Jesus is the locus of our self-worth at this point. So it's not our self-worth that is on the line. Uh, and he, we hear this when he says, whoever listens to you listens to me, whoever rejects you rejects me, and whoever rejects me rejects the one who sent me. In other words, if as you engage with the world and seek to do the right thing by Jesus as you see it, and it is not received, you don't need to feel rejected or dejected, right? It's just like, okay, I, I, you know, I did this for Jesus and didn't go so well. Sorry about that, man. Sorry about that, Jesus. And you just move on. And now it gets very practical. So Jesus sends them out two by two. The reason Jesus sends them out two by two is that in the world in which he lived, if one wanted to bear testimony, they needed to have a witness. It was like a courtroom of sorts, and you needed to have a witness. So you always needed to have two people to, to tell the truth in some sense. Now for us, two by two is essentially the buddy system. And we all know that the world is, the world is, is very difficult. 
and that we need somebody to process all that is happening in it. We need someone to speak about it. And then he says, carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. And what Jesus is talking about is the need for us to be dependent upon one another. You can depend upon the hospitality of others. He even goes so far as the labor deserves the labor's wages. But this is, this is about dependence. It's not about independence. I'm not my own little castle. And I think for us, uh, who prize independence so strongly in our country, it's Independence Day tomorrow, that, that the dependence is the concept uh, that Jesus is talking about. And he's also talking about, you, you know, you don't need a bag, you don't need sandals, and he might say you don't need to go to seminary, and you don't need to do this, you don't need that. In other words, you're good. Whatever you got, you're good. And so go with what you've got as you, as you launch off to do Jesus' work. Then he says this absolutely wonderful thing that we might, we might like go over it too quickly, and it's the give and take of peace. And this is literally the definition of self-differentiation, really holy self-differentiation. He says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house, and if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest upon that person. But if not, it will return to you. Now, I love this because what this is saying is that you make an offering of love and if it doesn't go so well, don't worry about it. Just take it back and you're good. You're good to go. You're not responsible for that house, for that person for the, that haven't received it. But because you have given peace, it doesn't mean that that peace, the, the, the peace of God, has to go away. You can live in peace in a very unpeaceful situation. And then he goes one more step, a step that I happen to love, as if you heard the podcast, you said that I love dust. I love the dust stuff in the scriptures. And he says, but whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go into its street and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Now, I must say that sometimes when I used to read that, I, I thought this reminded me of Monty Python. Kind of like, can't you see in one of those early Monty Pythons where they go into the town square and they're wiping the dust off in protest against, against the people of the town. But that in some sense is exactly what Jesus is talking about, literally, but he's also talking about something figuratively. Now let me explain to you about where that comes from in Jesus' world. So, as you probably know, uh, Spiritualities grow out of theologies, and, the, and the, the leading theology in the Hebrew scriptures is that God is pure. And so if we want to be in relationship with a pure God, we, seen as down below, need to become pure. And that's what, for instance, the Levitical food laws are about, is purity, right? And that's what all the cleansing and all this has to do with purity, to be in a pure relationship. And so that purity and the question of impurity would extend all the way into Gentile territory. In other words, where the Gentiles lived, they were impure by definition since they did not live in relationship with the pure God. And so that would be not only for who they were as people, but also to the ground and the land they lived in. So that if you were walking through Gentile territory 
and you came back into consecrated Jewish territory, you would shake the dust off your feet, climp, 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 because you don't want to bring that impure stuff into the pure world. This is where this comes from. And Jesus you, he talks about this in other instances in the scriptures. And then in the scripture we have today, it gets booted up to a second level. The reading that, that we, as appointed for us knocks out three verses. And the three verses are woe unto, woe verses from Jesus, or woe to you Chorazim and woe to you Capernaum. I always think it's interesting that he woes Capernaum because Capernaum is the hometown of, of Peter and, and Andrew and James and John. and It's where, where he hung his hat for three years up in Galilee. And he says, it'll be worse for you than it was for Sodom. Now, Sodom, as you know, the sin of Sodom is, is inhospitality, not receiving. That's, that's what's happening here. And it represents in the scriptures, as they comment on the scriptures, Sodom comes to represent divine judgment. And so you, um, the, fires of, the fires that are rained down on Sodom, it's like you wipe off the dust because you don't want the dust under your feet to suddenly ignite. It's kind of like, uh-uh, I don't want anything to do with that. But what this wipe off the dust of your feet means to us is that if somebody attacks you, okay, and, and this happens, I, I mean, all you have to do is ride down the Merritt Parkway and people give you, like, salutes uh, if you're, you know, if they don't like the way where your car is or something like that. We do receive this sort of thing uh, as the comings and goings of our lives. But what it is simply to say is just wipe off the dust and be done. If somebody doesn't receive you, doesn't receive your message, doesn't like what you have to say, it's not your responsibility. You don't need to download it into your system. You can remain whole and you can remain at peace. You can remain your holy self, but let them be them and let you be you. This is the shake off the dust moment. We then come back to the last three verses of the reading, which is the 70 that were sent out, the 70 then returned. And you'll notice that all 70 come back. None of them were eaten like lambs. And they have the joy of being mission-driven. So all of the research shows that the happiest people in the world are not those who spend all of their time in leisure that actually leisure can be burdensome. Find somebody who is like completely devoted to golf in retirement and half of them are completely stressed because they hit the ball in the sand trap. Sorry for that parentheses. But what the people who have the deepest happiness are those who have a sense of mission in their life that they're seeking to do with their life the Jesus thing. It's, it's good for the soul. Rick Warren wrote a book called, um, uh, oh, someone help me, um, Purpose Driven Life. Thank you. The Purpose Driven Life. And what, what, that was an international bestseller because what he is saying is that if you live to give for the love of the Lord, you're just simply happier and better. It's good for your soul to give. And when they come back, they have seen amazing things. And I know that Many of you would bear witness to this, that when you live to give and you do the holy and right things, you see that it's actually not you doing it, but you see the Spirit of God working. And that is, that's incredibly, incredibly beautiful and empowering. 
it's, it's incredibly joy-making. And then he goes, Jesus goes and says, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. I noted in the podcast that I spent years and years avoiding that verse because I didn't know what it meant. And so I've spent a lot of time studying this verse and, and to unlock the key to it, I believe, is, is we're, we're bound by the limits of our language because the, the tense of the original language says something like, I see Satan continually falling every time somebody does the right and loving thing. When, some, when somebody does like the little Jesus thing. That, that these little acts of kindness, this, this, this movement of love is detestable to the darkness. And here I'm reminded of, of a man uh, named Martin Smith who used to be the head of an Episcopal a monastic community, the Society of St. John the Evangelist, and I was on retreat with him once, and he said that no act of kindness, no matter how small, that the proverbial glass of water to a thirsty person, none of those acts are ever forgotten. They are all registered and remembered in the heart of God and in the heavens. And that on the other side, in the other dimension, we shall see that no tidbit of goodness that we did was lost and that we shall be able to see the fruits of God's work in our lives through the way that we have lived to give. And, and that, that, that the light in doing good in a dark world is such that it brings us to the point where Jesus says, you know, don't even rejoice in all that stuff but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And this is the ultimate, you're good, you're good. So even as we live in a world that is distressing and disturbing and fatiguing and full of fear, we should move forward in such a way as to be soul protected knowing that we are profoundly and existentially and divinely good. And this disposition of the soul can change the world in which we live in. It can change the country in which we live in. So on this Independence Day, when, we, when we're so aware of the gifts of our country and the distresses of our country, let's not give up. Let's be Jesus people who serve a broken world. sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.